play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot cope with him. Can't do it. I mean, listen, we talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. Now locked in to the Clock Dodgers podcast. Clock Dodgers podcast. Welcome to the Clock Dodgers podcast. I'm your host Neil Maligno. With me, as always, is JC Crocker. What up, Josh? Hey, what's up, man? Not much, man. Not much. Of course, with us also is the other FF guy, but known on this podcast is Adam Cahill. What's up, Adam? I like how I'm known on the podcast as my legal birth name. Yeah, that's what we do here. That's <laughs> what we do here. Good. I'm also known that in real life. <laughs> oh, you know, that's pretty good. What again? That's pretty good. I'm glad you're not known as the other FF guy at work or anything like that, because that'd be weird. Um, Super. So that's good. All right, guys. Listen, we got a podcast here to get through. Last week, we did our running back ranking episode. Top 24, was it? Um, this week, we're doing wide receivers. This is I, I enjoy these. I'm enjoying this little, you know, change of pace for the shows. Obviously, before we get into that, the only real big news happening, I would say right now, and well, at least in the football world is college football. It's, you know, going crazy. All these different divisions postponed until next year. Some playing in the fall. I mean, I don't know what's really happening right now. <laughs> Do you guys have a, a I, I, I don't I'll, I'll put this out there. I don't watch college football a ton. Right. So it's not really my thing. Um, so I know that some people are like really upset about this. Obviously some players are really upset about this. Um, do you, either one of you have a really good handle on what's happening right now in college football? I don't have a great handle. Um, I mean, from what I understand so far, the PAC 12 announced that they're postponing until next year. Um, I mean, without trying to get political in any sort of way, I think really the stage that we're at right now is, the majority of colleges are more concerned with just trying to figure out if they can have students on campus this year. So athletics are kind of taking a backseat to that. Um, personally, I don't think we're getting college football this year. Yeah. We might get like the SEC uh, or one conference that decides to, you know, still play, but I'll be, I'll be really surprised if we actually get college football at all this year. And honestly, man, I, I don't even know. I think it screws things up so much for, you know, so many of these kids. What happens for the NFL draft next year? Are they eligible to enter? Does this count as a league year for college football? There's so many questions that it raises. So hopefully they figure something out, but I'm far from optimistic. Yeah, I I did see something where the NCAA, I, I believe, said that they would give an extension for everyone who opts out in college um, due to Corona. Um, also, like you said, I mean, for what, for at least for our listeners' sake, what they care the most about is like, how is this going to affect fantasy? You know what I mean? Like, uh, how many guys will not go to the draft that normally would go, or how many guys are going to like forego their their year altogether and just like start preparing for the draft? You know what I mean, like, this is going to be super weird, man. And again, we could sit here and, and try to predict or look at the future and, and do all these things, but like, no one knows what's going to happen. Like, this has never happened before, so there's no way to say, you know, solid. This is what's going to happen, and it is what it is. Like, we just don't know. Like, it's just kind of we got to watch how it all unfolds and and just keep adjusting. You know, that's what makes you good at fantasy. And maybe you can be, stay flexible, keep adjusting, and just see how, how it, you know, all comes together. I will say my son, you know, is in college now, and his, his team has been practicing, like, every single day. I mean, they haven't stopped practicing. So, um, at least his division, I guess, they 
their expectation is to play. They did COVID tests. One player got COVID. That's it. So, I mean, I don't know how, you know, all the different divisions are going to go, but um, his team has been practicing like normal. They haven't <laughs> adjusted it in any way, canceled it or anything like that. So, um, is he yeah. playing safety? What's he playing? Yeah. Yeah. Safety. So we'll see how but it he is. Just I mean, hit people really hard, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the goal. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But he said, he said, like, it's like 160 something kids and only one popped for Corona. So. We'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. There's 160 kids in one football program? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what the hell is going on, man. That's a lot of kids, right? 160, 130, something like that. Um, so I don't know what happens. I don't know. I don't know how college teams are set up like that. But, uh, yeah, one kid tested positive, but they just the show goes on. So he's been practicing every single week. So I don't know if that division, I think it's like the Sun Division or something. I don't know if they plan on just rolling or what. But we'll see, man. I think these things are just going to keep gradually changing and adjusting and altering. And who knows what happens, man. But um, other than that, I don't think there's any other really big football news like that. Besides what we're going to talk about here on the show already, I don't think there's any other big news that we need to get to. So I'm down to just jump straight into these rankings if you guys are ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. All right. All right. Let's do this. Um, we'll start with trust issues. We have a couple here. And then we'll jump into um, – we, we, we switched it up a little bit this week because – uh, last week we did a rank them within the rank them episode, and I, I wanted to twist it up a little bit. So we're gonna do it a little bit different, challenge each other a little differently, and then we have a, a few listener questions that we got to that I really want to hit up because people hit us up uh, with some really good ones. We'll do foul or no foul, that good stuff. But let's jump with trust issues first, and the first one we have here is the Browns produce two top twenty four receivers. Do we trust that or do we have trust issues? Um, Josh, you want to start? I, I trust it, man. I think that it's going to happen. I Odell Beckham had had a rough a rough season, and so did the Browns. And the, the thing about him is that he is still he's still pulling so much volume that it's hard to bet against him being top twenty four. And it's even harder to bet against Jarvis Landry, who who is just I, I feel like he's just an unstoppable. Like he's going to get his. He may not be a top five. Or top eight wide receiver, unless he catches a ride on the on the touchdown wave. But I also don't feel like he's going to just completely fall off. He's always going to be a part of that offense. He's been a part of every offense he's ever been in. So I, if the Browns improve their offense at all, I think that they will have two top twenty-four wide receivers. Yeah, and, and I'm and I'm quickly looking at our rankings here. At at, at some point, we're going to have all the rankings up on the site, so people can go there and kind of just see what we're doing. But um, just for this, you know, conversation's sake, I see both of you have Jarvis Landry in your top twenty-four. I do not. Um, so I mean, I, I guess you know, my answer would here would be I have trust issues with it. Obviously, if I don't have him in my top twenty-four, but in, in in theory, like I get it. Like I, I don't think it's absurd that he would be there. He's just not in my top twenty-four. But you both do have him in have him in your top twenty-four, so you both feel obviously a little more stronger about it than I do. Um, but it is like if you're trying to create a case against it. Like it's pretty hard. <laughs> I mean, like like you said, the evidence has always showed that he belongs there. Um, Adam, what 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 do you think it would take for him not to be there? Is it is it, it would it be his fault or everyone else's it's fault? It's really funny that uh, how you led into this by saying both a I do have both in my top twenty four, and then b asking me to hypothetically propose how that would not happen because literally right before the podcast, Josh and I were talking about this exact question 
how I have both ranked in the top 24 and how I do not believe that's going to happen. Oh, okay. So okay. it's one of those weird situations where it's like, I kind of need to adjust my rankings, but at the same time, it's kind of where rankings aren't always necessarily indicative of projections. Um, really, my concerns around Cleveland lie at the feet of Baker Mayfield. It's really a giant question of, is what we've seen from him the past two years what he's going to be in the NFL? I mean, from a usage standpoint, as far as passing volume goes, I mean, he, we saw his efficiency drop off last year um, from his rookie season. His completion percentage dropped. His interceptions went way up. Um, you know, his touchdowns went down. So my concern is what's going to happen with Baker? Is he going to be able to right this ship and even support two top 24 wide receivers? So that's really my concern with the offense. Honestly, I'm probably going to need to adjust some things in my rankings to be more realistic for how I truly feel. Because my honest gut feeling here is Baker is not going to get that much better. He's going to be a little bit better than what he was. His touchdowns are probably going to go closer to like the 25 range. And he'll probably be right around 4,000 yards again. That, to me, doesn't support two top 24 wide receivers. And if you ask me who I think is more likely to finish in the top 24 on a Baker Mayfield team where he isn't that productive, it's going to be Jarvis Landry every time. I think just volume alone, I think Landry sees a larger target share in that offense. And ultimately, I, I think that Landry is probably the guy who's been more consistent even since you know moving on to Cleveland. So for me... I'm probably more in favor of Landry over Beckham if I had to pick one of the two to finish in the top 24. Interesting. So, I mean, so right now, just so people listening know, you have Beckham at what? Uh, uh, 17? Yeah, and I have Landry Beckham at, at 17 and I have Landry at 23. And really what that comes down to is, I mean, as far as historical numbers go, I mean, what Odell Beckham's done throughout his career, it, it's really difficult to deny. Uh, and I've been drafting a ton already. I've done like roughly 50 best ball drafts. Because of that, I'm really familiar with ADP. So a lot of my rankings are often based around ADP. So for instance, having Odell Beckham at wide receiver 17, it's more indicative to me just saying I'm probably not going to draft him. But if he falls to the point where he is a value, that's probably where I'm going to start getting exposure in best ball because I draft so many drafts. A lot of times I don't want to, you know, completely avoid players. I want to figure out where they become an ADP value that if they are, you know, what other people think they're going to be, I still am going to get some exposure to that. So that's oftentimes in my process, how my rankings play out and how they might be a little bit different than what I actually would necessarily project based on the situation gotcha gotcha yeah i mean I, I think it makes sense i mean for me i think you know baker's one of those guys where like at some point we need baker to be like a difference maker <laughs> you know what i mean like that team is talented it's loaded um baker is really just the guy like that has to turn it on the switch at this point like are you going to be the guy are you gonna be the quarterback who puts a team on his back and can win games and can you know, do special things, or are you just another dude out here playing quarterback? You know what I mean, so that's what's going to separate to me whether you know Beckham and and Landry hit the numbers we want to see them hit, or whether they fall short than what we want to see because we don't really know if Baker's just another dude or not yet or not. You know what I mean, so um, 
he'll, he'll be one of the more interesting quarterbacks to watch this year because there are some people who are like super high on him and like banking for him to have this, you know, huge rebound. There's some people who just don't trust the dude at all. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how much of a, a difference he can make in making these two special and uh, making these guys both you know, 24s. If we think about the, the coaching staff and Baker, like it's Stefanski in Cleveland, right? So I think that – I think Stefanski has pulled good performances out of players like Case Keenum, who maybe are just a little more coaching dependent. Maybe they just need a little bit of a pat on the head. And I think, I think Stefanski can support Baker, and I think Baker in turn – can support these wide receivers. Although I would, I would rather place bets on OBJ because he's more efficient and Landry is more dependent on there being downs, more for downs, you know, more receptions, more, more of an accumulator where Odell can have a big game that makes the day or a big play that makes the day. So, I, one, I think Baker can make a step forward because I think he's talented. And two, I'd rather have Odell than Landry. You know, I do want to say one thing in regards to that, which is Landry actually, from a uh, per-target and per-reception standpoint last year, had a greater yards per target, yards per reception than Odell. I honestly think that as Landry's career goes on, the scheme that he's in is going to be way more uh, indicative of his, you know, overall efficiency than him as a player. I think that Landry can run the full route tree. I think that we've seen that. I think that the way he was utilized in the past made him seem like this, you know, dink and dunk drop off short yardage guy who's just going to get a ton of run after the catch. Um, But what we saw from him last year was not that at all. And the fact that he out-targeted Odell last year, be it slightly, uh, and the year prior, makes me feel like that's probably going to be where they're at this year. And he has a better historical catch rate as well. So I think for Landry, for me, from like a projection standpoint, it's probably going to eke out Odell just slightly as far as total targets goes. It's probably going to eke out Odell slightly in catch rate. And as far as yards per reception, which should be the big difference maker, I think Landry is going to be closer than a lot of people would think. So for me, I mean, they're, they're really close. Um, I think it's interesting because even though I have Odell five, six spots higher in my rankings, I have Landry a lot higher than he's going in drafts. So I own a ton more of Landry. And this is why I think rankings are such an interesting process because for me, they're more indicative to how drafts are going and how I want to adjust in a draft than they are specifically this guy is going to outperform this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rankings are, are you know, unique in that fact that everyone kind of does them differently. You know what I mean? Some people are just going strictly off ADP. Some people are, you know, going off of, you know, who they prefer to draft and, you know, in those places. Like, it just depends on how you set it up, you know, so. Um, and, and you'll see that, you know, throughout this episode and throughout the, any of the ranking episodes that we do, that we all kind of do these different. And obviously, if we were just going off one set number, it'd be more closer than they are as far as how we rank these guys. Um, but it sounds like as far as trust issue goes, we all trust that these guys could technically have 224 guys, top 24 guys. But um, there's obviously a lot of factors that have to play in the favor with, you know, with Baker and the head coaching and offense and just everything has to kind of click in a certain way. 
um, but that we trust those two receivers that you know that they're capable of it basically, um, which is good. All right, let's move on to the next one we have here. We have uh, Juju is a top fifteen wide receiver. Um, Adam, you can start with this one. I know you uh, have some feelings on Juju. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still high on Juju. I think that from a career trajectory standpoint, he looks pretty similar to Julio Jones. The difference with Julio was that Julio himself got injured. With Juju, we had an injury to Big Ben, which, um, you know, for a lot of wide receivers, shouldn't hold them back to that degree. Um, it is definitely a little bit worrisome that he wasn't able to produce without Ben as the quarterback. That being said, Ben should be the starter again to begin this season. And I think Judy is really in a right position to take off in that offense. I, I don't think really anybody threatens him for that first wide receiver role. I know a lot of people are a big fan of Deontay Johnson in that offense, but to me personally, I, I think Juju walks into the lead role in that offense. And I think from what we've seen from him, when he's on the field with big Ben, he's a top 10 wide receiver. And that's basically what this is based upon. Um, he's somebody who I just think had a really poor year, but he's a really young wide receiver who I think can rebound from that strong. And I think with a healthy Ben, he's, he's going to be really difficult or, you know, a real tough thing for defenses to deal with. Right. And so everyone's aware here with Juju, this is how we have them listed. You have him at nine, Adam. Um, I have him at 14, which I thought, you know, I think generally speaking, he is higher um, on just the general rankings across the board and all the sites and everything. Um, and then Josh, I mean, I'm kind of jealous. I'm not going to lie. Everyone knows I'm not a big Juju fan, right? Like I, I said that he would have a bad year last year. He did. Obviously, I couldn't predict as bad as he did and, and all the reasons why. Um, but I did feel like he was going to take a hit with no AB there. And, um, you know, he dropped significantly. Josh has him at 24. And I'm super jealous yeah, that he did that. I, see, I'm a Deontay Johnson fan. So that's why I don't have as much faith in Juju. But I'm curious how, you know, Josh has made this happen in his mind um, because any everyone will be a skeptic of where Josh ranked him, I think, more than any of us. So, Josh, what has Juju at 24 for you? You know, I would have him higher in Dynasty, but in redraft, just what they're going to do this year, I have to ask which guy do you want. And so I definitely want Adam Thielen. You know, Portland Sutton, I, I feel like you have to give him the nod over Juju. He's dealt with some similar quarterback adversity and performed better. You know, Art, Tyler Lockett, Jarvis Landry, both ahead of Juju. Uh, so, 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 so basically the vibe I'm getting is you just don't believe in the Steelers much at all as far as just an offense, right, uh, in comparison well, to a lot of these other guys. Other players on the Steelers team outperformed Juju under the same set of circumstances. And maybe Juju was not healthy, and we don't know that. And, you know, that, that, would, that would definitely impact my opinion of him. But, like, right now, I've got to take T.Y. Hilton over Juju. I've got to take the, the Rams wide receivers over Juju. I just, I just can't pull the trigger on Juju until a lot of those guys are off the court. Yeah, that's super interesting. So obviously you have trust issues with him in the top 15. I will say 10 times out of 10, I will have Deontay Johnson and not Juju. Um, I, I will not have Juju in any league. There's just no chance. Um, but when ranking him, you know, I just tried to be fair uh, and put him in a place where I feel like, you know, if he gets the targets, if Big Ben's back, if everyone's healthy, if Juju has worked on his game, all those kind of things. I feel like, you know, putting him near the 15 spot is fair. 
Um, and, I, and I've seen a lot of people who have had a much higher. Um, but yeah, jo Josh is uh, ranking of him. I, I respect it, man. I respect the low drop. Jo Adam, do you hate it? No, I think you just did exactly what I did with Odell. Is You put Juju at a spot that's low enough in your rankings that you're probably not going to draft him, but at a spot that if everyone else in your draft is also avoiding him, you kind of have this baked-in equity where you're like, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I could be wrong. I'm going to draft him at this point because at this point, even if I'm right, I've at least baked in enough ADP value that I can make up for it elsewhere. Whereas Josh is more from a ranking standpoint, putting guys in a position where he's just like, I'm not touching him. You know, I don't really care. I don't think that he's going to get anywhere near top 20 production. I'm just, he's not going to be on any of my yeah. teams. And, 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 and I, I think and, that's a little bit, you know, the difference as far as just ranking styles. Yeah. And I, and, and I may eat my words here after this season's over, but I just don't think Juju's an alpha man. I don't think he's an alpha. There's a lot of wide receivers there now, man. Deontay Johnson, they drafted Chase Claypool. They got uh, James Washington. There's just a lot of guys there, and I don't know, man. I feel like after AB left, I was concerned that he was going to be the lead dog, and I just don't know if I feel comfortable with it. They did say they're going to put him in the slot, right? Did you guys see that? That is, Yeah, that is what I've read as well, which I think could be really nice for him if for no other reason than he will targets. likely lead that team in yeah. targets. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be fun to watch how this plays out since we're all kind of spaced out on him. But um, yeah, uh, I respect it, Josh. I respect. I, I understand that Antonio Brown has uh, given everybody reason to doubt himself, to doubt him, but he really was maybe the greatest thing we've seen at wide receiver since Jerry Rice. Like he was a phenomenal player, and, and Juju got to share a field with that. And I don't think that Antonio made Juju, but. Man, who would not suffer from the loss of not only Antonio Brown, but their quarterback? Yeah. I mean, I agree with the sentiment, but the fact that you just ignored Randy Moss for that whole <laughs> stretch of time really just offends my ego. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll move on. How about, how about this? Before we move on, if Antonio Brown came back into the league and he wasn't suspended, I would draft him also over Juju, no matter where he goes, period. Just in the discussion. So that's how little I care about Juju, really, honestly. But I just. So I can hold you to A, B in your top 15 if he lands on a team? If he lands on a team, yeah. Yeah, you know he's suspended for the first eight games, right? No, that's what I said. If he wasn't suspended, I would draft him oh, over Juju okay. for sure. Listen, all you, all you get out of any wide receiver is half of a season, half a season of run hot, and Antonio Brown can give you half a season if he starts at week nine. Yeah, probably better than Juju, too. Let's move on <laughs> before we get, before Juju hits us up. Suzo's or something. Um, DeAndre Hopkins finishes top five. Trust or trust issues? This is a, this is a good one because he's the big wide receiver who changed teams. And I know pe some people feel very strongly about wide receivers changing teams, especially now with the world in pure chaos and people not able to create this chemistry that we would like them to at this point. Um, this is a fun one. He he goes to the to the Cardinals. Kyler Murray. It's just a whole bunch of craziness. Um, Josh, trust or trust issues that DeAndre Hopkins can finish in the top, top five? I have trust issues with it because I just think that the, the change of teams and everything you already said, I think it matters. But I also, I also have this impulse to take him ahead of that because the situation has gone from Bill O'Brien – Let's run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. 
to Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, you know, air raid offense. And it, it feels like DeAndre Hopkins might finally get to realize who he is. But I think it's next year. Just just like Odell and Jarvis didn't really take off year one in Cleveland, I think DeAndre Hopkins might need that year. Okay, so now I will not question DeAndre Hopkins finishing top five. I totally trust it. Adam, do not mention who's above his ranking of DeAndre Hopkins yet because we're going to use that later. Um, <laughs> so do not mention who he has ranked above DeAndre Hopkins. However, cool. I, I mention I, who you have ranked no, 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 above who, DeAndre who, Hopkins because he's – I know, but he's not in your top five, so this is interesting. Yeah, well, so you're you're super confident he'll finish top five, but you will not draft. I have no issue five. thinking he gets he gets end top five. I have no. I issue mean, to be full disclosure, you have him sixth, but you know, I gotta at least take some firmness somewhere because this is. I mean, this one's kind of it, it's a little silly. You guys both have him at six. I have him at five. Like, what are we doing here? Um, at the end of the day. I think DeAndre Hopkins, his transition should make anybody nervous. That being said, for me at least, after the top four wide receivers, which, I mean, we'll probably get to in a minute here because Neil's prefacing to not talk about <laughs> anyone who's higher than this. Um, so we'll get to that. But my top four are basically locked in. And then from five to like 30-something, it's weird. Like, I, I honestly think that there is a lot of variability from, at least in my personal rankings, from five to, oh, I'd say about, like, 34 or so. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Marquise Brown finishes as a top five wide receiver this year. I wouldn't be shocked if Brandon Cooks ends up being the best wide receiver in Houston and ends up finishing top five. Like, those are guys that I have outside of my top 30. And I would not be shocked if they finished top five. I think that obviously DeAndre Hopkins, I'm way more confident in than those guys. But my overall point is there's a lot of parity at the wide receiver position. And I think that while DeAndre Hopkins, I would say I, I do trust to finish top five. There's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of variation in there. And I think that you draft him where he is because of the confidence you have in him returning, you know, top 12 value um but specifically top five obviously is going to be harder because every year it varies so greatly yeah yeah no yeah I, I know we all have him practically five right so like like you mentioned um so we, i think we all could technically trust it practically um here it's not it's not out of the possibility to any of us um but yeah no i didn't want you to mention who josh had above him because i want him in our next segment here um because I want Josh to defend that, but um, just because it's different than both of ours. Uh, however, yeah, we all I think we all trust that he could finish. I think the only concern is that he changed teams, right? I mean, we all know what he's done. I don't see, you know, I see no reason why they would have traded for him if they weren't going to use him a ton. But you never know. Things get weird sometimes. Uh, but I, I, I'm fully on board with him. Like, if, if he comes to me, I have no issue with it. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I don't know. I don't trust him. You know, I don't know this new situation. Like, I'm not going to have that conversation with myself. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I I very confidently pick him above everyone else that I have under him with, like, no question. I don't go, well, you know, this other guy might pass him. Like, I don't care about that. Like, I, I feel good where I have him that the only people that concern me are the ones I have above him. Um, so I, I'm not worried about the people behind him. So, um, yeah. All right. So DeAndre Hopkins, you know, it's, it's a – it's the story, you know, he's, he's just in a new place and people are interested to see how 
he plays out in a new home with, you know, this weird offseason. So, all right, let's move on from trust issues then. Um, I wanted to do something a little different here today. No rank them in this episode. I wanted to do a little segment. I call it 10 toes down, right? And for anyone who knows this, it's, you know, it just means you stand your ground on something. You, you know, you, you, you're standing on, on both feet fully, fully in on something, right? You're, you're standing your ground. You're not shaking. You're not swayed by nothing. You're just, you're firm on it. So I wanted to do this, but I wanted to take it where we all stand our ground on one of our wide receivers. Adam, you did mention that we should choose the wide receiver that the other person has to stand their ground on and keep 10 toes down on. So I think that's a good twist. I think that's a good way to do it. So let's do one for you first, Adam. Josh, do you have a player in mind that you feel really strongly that we should make Adam stand his ground 10 toes on? I would like to see Adam stand his ground on Chris Godwin being the wide receiver six. All right. All right. Adam, you're being called out, my man. He's got he 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 wants to hear hear what you have to say about why you have Chris Godwin at six. All right. So just first though, Neil gets no input whatsoever. What? <laughs> what? Or is Neil gonna pick a player after this? Because Neil has Chris Godwin in his top five, which would be even higher. So it seems uh, yeah, I'm, silly. I'm, I'm not gonna. So. I'm not gonna debate. All with right. I'm not gonna well, debate. Well, I'll, you know, I'll define Chris. I'll defend Chris Godwin to Josh, and then you know what, Neil? If you want, you can pick somebody else, and I'll defend them too. All right. All right. So to start, Chris Godwin. So from what we saw last year, the offense that we saw in 2019 is going to be drastically different, in my opinion, from the offense that we see in 2020 for Tampa Bay. That being said, one of the few consistent things in that offense that I see moving forward, is going to be Chris Godwin. The main reason is just because he plays out of the slot. Uh, I think that the offense that both Bruce Arians runs historically and that uh, Tom Brady has thrived in historically have been offenses that utilize the slot as a way to move the ball downfield consistently. Uh, I mean, they essentially are two offenses that are literally designed around utilizing that player in a very similar way to most teams utilizing the running. They constantly target them in these quick, short field passes that allow them to move the ball downfield. Uh, what we've seen from Bruce Arians is he's done this throughout his entire career. I mean, he made Larry Fitzgerald this insane slot weapon. I do not think that that's going to be any different for Chris Godwin. And for what we've seen from Brady, it doesn't matter who's in the slot for him. He makes that player a star. I mean, he did that with Wes Welker and Julian Edelman. These are guys that are nowhere near the talent level of Chris Godwin. I think it's insane to think that literally anyone else on that offense is going to benefit from Tom Brady coming there. Tom Brady is a 43-year-old wide receiver. He's going to not be able to push the ball downfield as much as he has in the past. So I think what you're going to see as far as a shift from Chris Godwin is you're probably going to see his yards per target, his yards per reception drop down. But I honestly think he could be one of the most targeted players in the NFL this year. And as crazy as it might sound, I think that he can surpass his 120 targets from last year and do it by quite a good margin. I, I honestly think that he's probably going to see upwards of 150, 160 targets this year. I, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to make you pick another player. But, Josh, do you have anything you want to say to that? Or are you happy with Adam's answer? I am not. I'm not happy with the idea that. <laughs> That Tom Brady is going to 
decide who gets targets to the extent that Chris Godwin has that kind of upside. You know, he he had what I think 100, he had 119 last year in his breakout year, which which is fine. But he he just he greatly outperformed his volume in terms of touchdowns. He was third in total touchdowns and at the same time 27th in air yards. And I just don't think that he keeps I just don't think that he keeps up that same level of performance with Tom Brady. I think Mike Evans is gonna is gonna enjoy more of this than people wanna believe. Yeah, I'm gonna jump in here and defend Chris Godwin too, you know. So Julian Edelman had his best career year last year. He's old as shit too, right? And Godwin's the best wide receiver Brady's ever played with, besides Randy Moss. So he, I think he's gonna ball out. I don't, I don't see where how he doesn't ball out. Um, so I have no issue. I have him in my top five, right? So um, I, I love Chris Godwin. I've always loved Chris Godwin. I don't see how Tom Brady makes this any worse of a situation. They're gonna use him in the slot like crazy. He's just man. He's the man. Man, he's the man in Tampa to me. I know we all like Mike Evans too, but I have him a little lower. There's no way for me Chris Godwin has a bad season or goes backwards or anything. For me, I'm, I'm totally confident in Chris Godwin, so I'm not going to argue with you about it, Adam. I mean, You guys heard it here first. Chris Godwin is better than Antonio Brown. No, Neil shut said up. It. He had him for one you day. You did. He had him for a day. That don't count. That don't even count. But, yeah. So, yeah. Chris right. Godwin is better than Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> As a wide receiver. <laughs> well, I need to see so many hip thrusts out of Chris Godwin before I'm on that train. Trust me, man. He gave Tom Brady the number, everything, man. It's all happening. It's all coming together. That, that was when he gave him that number. He was like, hey, you're giving me 150 targets. I appreciate it, man. Um, all right. I think he defended it pretty well, Josh. He defended it. He, 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 he kept 10 toes down. Now, do you guys want me to go next or Josh to go next? And I honestly still want you to do one for me because I know what you want to challenge Josh on, and that's not what I want to challenge Josh on. <laughs> oh, really? So we're gonna we want to challenge yeah. Josh on different so stuff. So I think we should do two each. I think it'll make it interesting. Okay. It'll be you know it'll be fun. Okay, so let's see what I can throw pick one out there you. that you think I really should not be be ranking where they are. I'm, I'm trying to think here who I'm told. Okay, okay, okay. I'm trying to see who I'm really off with you on. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you here. I want to see you hold this one down. Um, and I think Josh is on this with you. Let me just make sure. Um, yeah, he is. Okay. So the guy that I have different than both of you is AJ Brown. All right, man. That's actually a really good one because uh, AJ Brown's someone I literally just moved up in my rankings. Um, this is one of those situations where full disclosure. I listen to someone who I think smarter than me at this speak about AJ Brown and what he did historically in his rookie season. And it made me move him up quite a bit in my rankings. That's um, such a nice compliment for you to give Josh. Wow. Yeah. It, it's not Josh at all. Uh, no, it, it's the godfather of zero running back himself, Sean Siegel. Um, I listened to him on a podcast recently, just talk about what AJ Brown did as a rookie. Uh, and ultimately just when you look at historical breakouts, he projects to be a historical breakout. And so I put him in what I consider my historical breakout tier. Uh, I mean, I have him ranked right next to Calvin Ridley and Cooper Cup and Adam Thielen, who are all guys who I think had the potential to finish top five. Now, granted, from what I just said earlier about how deep that 
layer goes that there are so many guys that I think do have that upside. I mean, it, it might take some credence away from that, but I think for me, the main things with AJ Brown are ultimately as a rookie, he showed this ability to be an alpha receiver in the NFL. Um, ultimately, I do not see anyone threatening his target share on that offense, even though they're obviously going to be a very heavy run offense. He's still going to be the guy who leads that team in targets. And for me, I still have him ranked outside my top 12 because ultimately my concern with A.J. Brown is a volume concern. Uh, personally, I think to be a top 12 wide receiver in the NFL, you're probably going to have to maintain about 150-plus targets. I think A.J. Brown's probably more realistic to see like in the 120 to 140 range. So that's what kind of caps the ceiling for me. <laughs> With those crickets, you motherfucker. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So, no, no, seriously, though. So you see him jumping from like, I think he had under 85 targets last year. So you see him yeah. jumping from the 80, plus, you know, 80, mid 80 range to 120 plus targets. Yeah, most definitely. And I mean, okay. but this is, I mean, this is something you see from rookies in their second year quite often. I mean, to see him make 150 target jump or a jump to 150 targets like that that to me would be a pretty gigantic reach but i think 120 is realistic i think the upside of like 130 140 targets is possible um but yeah i mean you know he started the season as a rookie he got into the role that he finished the season in only in his like last seven six seven games or so based on like uh his game logs so ultimately i think that what he projected to do towards the end of the second half of last season is probably what he's going to have moving forward. Um, and I just think that that, to me, projects to be a player that has the potential for a lead upside while still ultimately having his ceiling capped a little bit by volume. Yeah. Now, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I understand where you're coming from with it. I, I have him at 20, so it's not like I have him absurdly low. Um, but it's just an, it, he, he is a... One of those guys where it's like, I think we all want him to break out and we all think he should do better than, you know, he did last year. Um, but also when you have Derrick Henry, it's just hard to, you know, and then you obviously had the people who are skeptics for Ryan Tannehill, right? They just don't believe that this guy can do it again because they've never seen him do it before last year. You know, so um, it, it's and I know Josh is a big fan of A.J. Brown, too. He was a big fan last year. Um, and, I, and I will say I under appreciated him going into last year i was like ah, he's not gonna do nothing i didn't draft him in dynasty i was like the titans forget it i don't want no part of this dude but i mean it, it is an important point that there is no other you know threat there unless you think Corey davis is gonna have a revival there's no reason to believe that he is threatened you know it's just it's just you know he's he has a clear path to th those targets that you're referring to if he gets them so um I, I i respect your stance there man i respect your stance all right so you defended aj brown you defended Chris Godwin. Um, let's let's put Josh. Let's put Josh under the fire a little bit here, man. I'll, I'll let you pick Josh's first guy that you want to pick on. Okay. Yeah. Um, this this one is the opposite direction that both of you guys went. I don't know how you have Devonta Adams eight. Uh, he's basically a consensus wide receiver two three, going off draft boards in the first round most of the time. Essentially having him wide receiver eight means you're not going to draft him so why aren't you drafting Devonta adams yeah before josh talks if you if you're an aaron, um, aaron Rodgers fan just skip like the next five minutes go ahead josh 
Yeah, I, I just I think that the Devonte Adams uh, allure is built largely upon the mythology of Aaron Rodgers. I knew it, <laughs> and I think that that era is over. So, so besides that, you know, he had 1,200 air yards last year. That's you know, in 12 games, he, he's he's pulling around 100 air yards a game, but that puts him behind several guys. That puts him behind DeAndre Hopkins. That puts him behind Tyree. That puts him behind even guys like Odell and Allen Robinson. So he he is not pulling so much volume that he deserves to be a top three wide receiver. And I also just I think that we. We've seen Aaron Rodgers' elite years come to an end, and Devontae Adams no longer is entitled to this, you know, this huge share of touchdowns. Aaron Jones might get it. A.J. Dillon might get it. Just any other player on the Packers could end up with this touchdown load that I think we're giving Devontae Adams for no particular good reason. Wow, Adam! All right, this guy's standing ten toes down. He didn't. He didn't waver. But please yeah, tell I mean, me you have a response. Was, I mean, the touchdown argument's an interesting one. All right, I'll at least start there because we've now seen three seasons of this subpar Aaron Rodgers that isn't the 30-plus touchdown guy that we knew basically for the majority of his career. Um, You know, the last two seasons, he has 25 and 26 touchdowns. So the idea that there's a little trepidation around how many touchdowns Devonta Adams can store, I kind of get it. Hmm. That being said, Aaron Jones was second in the NFL in rushing touchdowns last year. I don't think that that's going to be nearly as high. I think that those numbers are going to shift a little bit closer and you could easily see Aaron Rodgers get closer to 30 this year and be around 30. The biggest factor is simply it's usage. I mean, I, to me, I don't know how you look at those air yards and have the conversation where you're like, Oh, there were a couple guys that were ahead of him. So he's not going to be close to that. He played 12 games and he was banged up, and he was still sixth in the NFL. Actually, I'm sorry, Josh. He was fourth in the NFL in air yards. So the the two guys that you listed him, I mean, they were super close, Odell and Allen Robinson, but they were actually just behind him in air yards per game. That being said, I mean, those guys were all neck and neck. Ultimately, though, I think that from a volume standpoint, Devonta Adams is going to be one of the top five most targeted receivers in the NFL. Now you have Devin Funches not playing this year, which takes away one of the only targets that were on that offense that, you know, Aaron Rodgers kind of knew seemed like he might have a rapport with. So you've got another situation, another year once again, where Aaron Rodgers is basically just going to be throwing Devonta Adams the ball 180 times. And obviously for me, just on volume alone, that makes him a huge lock to be a top five receiver. And just what he's shown he can do historically with scoring touchdowns and being able to make big plays and, and just be a guy who is the focal point of that offense. I mean, that for me makes him somebody who I'm going to want to draft. And I'd like to add in here too, like every year 
there's some other wide receiver in the Packers that everyone tries to get on board with, and it like never pans out. So, like obviously, a lot of people like Alan Lazard this year. Um, the MVS had his moment. Jay Kumro had his his off his his uh his um off season or you know whatever it was that people loved him for a little bit. Like uh preseason, everyone every all all these guys have like had their time in the summer. Everyone's like it's this guy's year or this is the other Packer wide receiver that I like. And like Allison was there last year, and like these guys never really do anything. And the tight ends are usually very underwhelming, and so. I don't see how you can argue against Devontae Adams. But, I mean, now, again, we're being, you know, we're being kind of picky here. He obviously still has him within the top 10, but it's more about how low he has him in that top 10 um, compared to, you know, the consensus. Everyone else mostly has him, like you said, the top three at least. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm so tired of people telling me other wide receivers in, in Green Bay. I know Allen has a big, big following right now. He's the guy. Um, but I've he, I hear that every single season, and nobody ever – dangerous Devonte adams so uh yeah I, i'm not gonna put him down there but josh i mean do you have any counter to adam before we find another guy on your list here you know i just don't believe in him i just don't believe in Devonte adams oh he, man I, a, I, we need to make a clip faith, of that. faith-based fantasy analysis let's go to the next one say, 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 <laughs> say, hey say that one more time so i can turn it into a clip josh what was that i don't believe in Devonte adams he does not believe in Devonte adams okay all right, that will be a clip. Uh, let's see. The other guy I wanted to have you kind of defend here, and it's not that I don't like the guy. It's just how high you have the guy. You kind of swapped him in Devontae Adams, it feels like, um, and that's DJ Moore. So you have DJ Moore higher than all of us. Um, again, I, I, I have a, you know, I'm a big fan. I think Adam respects his game, but you have him higher than both of us, and so I'm just curious how you've got him into your top four. I, I like DJ Moore because DJ Moore has checked all of the boxes all along the way. At every step of his career, he has done exactly what he was supposed to do, even given shitty quarterback play. And when you compare him to other historic comparables, he is just as likely to continue to ascend as he is to have any kind of a step back. And that's just not true of a lot of our other uh, potential repeating wide receiver ones. You know, I'm also I'm also a believer that Teddy Bridgewater can just distribute the ball to these sort of low air yard per target, high yard after the catch type of players that that kind of make their own make their own way in the NFL. And I think that DJ Moore is one of those players. I, as much as I am out on Devonte, I am, I am in on DJ Moore. I think he's on the way up. I think he's a safe bet. And I think he has done everything along the way to support that belief. Okay. I mean, uh, amongst everyone that we've talked about so far, I would say he has like, well, obviously Chris Godwin has Mike Evans, but like, I mean, he has some competition, right? I mean, some people, aren't concerned about him, but you got Samuel, you got, they, they signed Robbie Anderson. Um, they have the new quarterback, a new offense. None of that concerns you. Well, I just see Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel both as playing a, a Will Fuller role to his Deandre Hopkins, where, you know, it's not that they're necessarily similar players, but D, DJ Moore is going to soak up more of the volume and, 
Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel will play more of the the splash play. Is this the week or isn't it? When I score a seventy yard touchdown, and I think that I want the DJ Moore side of that bet. All right, all right, um, Adam, do you have a do you see a big issue with him at number four? I, I know you know you've made a point in this episode to say that like. You know, you can see anybody basically fall into the top five at this point. Wide receiver, Marquise Brown, all these guys. Like it's, not, it's so, you know, it's so. Uh, there's so there's so much fluctuation there for you that you see happening. I think we all, when we do these rankings, we see that with wide receiver more than probably any position that is that kind of position. Um, but do you have a tough time if you were to try to justify, you know, more in your top four? Is that difficult? Yeah, I mean, I see where Josh is coming from. I, I think the biggest concern for me with DJ Moore is touchdowns. I mean, this is a guy who scored six in his first two seasons combined. That's that's bad. That's worse than Julio, bud. That's, <laughs> that's like, I mean, Julio's a meme for how little he scores touchdowns, and DJ Moore should be that meme. I mean, my big concern ultimately is what that offense is going to look like with Teddy Bridgewater. I'm not a huge fan of Teddy as far as like a quarterback goes. I think he's basically one of the best stories in the NFL. And it's sad that he doesn't get talked about more because what he did after that injury to come back and now be starting for an NFL franchise is phenomenal. But speaking from a fantasy perspective, I'm concerned with how he's going to do in that offense and how he's going to support like a true alpha number one wide receiver. That being said, he did a good job with Michael Thomas. So there's obviously some ability for that. Um, and on that offense, you also have another offense that, you know, with the Saints, they throw to their running backs more than any other team in the NFL. So the transition to Christian McCaffrey isn't that dramatic. So I can see it from that standpoint. My biggest concerns ultimately are just going to be the overall efficiency of that offense. Um, I'm really Personally, I was discussing with Josh before we started recording. A lot of my analysis is a top-down analysis. When I look at that division, I think Carolina is the worst team in that division. I mean, it's going to be close between them and Atlanta, but I don't think either of them are close to the Saints or the Bucks. So for me personally, I think that, you know, DJ Moore might get a lot of late-game volume, but as far as my biggest concern for him, which is touchdowns, that's my biggest concern for the offense as well. So, like, they go hand in hand. He's still in my top 12. He's still a guy I'm drafting. But ultimately, like, that's to me what caps his ceiling. If he comes out and scores double-digit touchdowns, yeah, he's going to he's gonna finish top five. So I think that for Josh, it's really just having that positive touchdown regression. I just don't necessarily see it because I don't see the offense translating to that. Yeah. And to be fair, there are some people who are, who are really, really, really big fans of that offense and, like, what he can do. So – um, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's going to be a fun storyline. I mean, we can all agree with that. They got Christian McCaffrey, which we all know what he's capable of. And that's the one sure thing for sure. And DJ Moore is really good, but I mean, we're going to see a new quarterback, uh, a coach coming from college to run the team, uh, who has you know, a big time offense in college. And so it's gonna be a lot of different things here to, you know, to kind of watch. And, and, you know, this is their first time moving on from cam and like, I mean, I know they didn't play last year really, but this is the, uh, you know, the big thing, big storyline here, you know, Cam's a Patriot and then the Panthers are a different team at this point, a little pretty much as far as quarterback coach, all these things go. So um, it's going to be a fun, um, a fun team to watch. You know, they're one of the storylines for sure to keep an eye on. All right. You both have stood 10, 10, 10 toes down. 
I, I appreciate that. Uh, you guys have done a really good job. I think we've all done a good job calling out certain players here who stand out according to our list, and we've all defended them pretty well. It's my turn. I don't know who you guys are going to go with here. I'm, I'm, I'm in line with a lot of you guys on certain things, and then there's some guys that I stand out on. So uh, hit me. Let's see what we got. Josh, you want me to go first, or you want to go? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So my one, it, I mean, we're not drastically far off, but you have Odell Beckham in your top 12. And I'm just, I'm really curious about how you, how you get him there. Cause obviously, as I stated before, my ranking of him at 18 is more just indicative of me saying, I'm probably not going to be drafting this guy. When in reality, as I went through, I think Landry could outscore him. So for you, what has Odell have that top 12 upside? All right, so I know we touched on these guys a little earlier, so it's it's kind of repetitive a little bit in that sense. Like, yeah, I think the history that you mentioned on his, you know, his, his statistical history just says that he's capable of it, um, and I feel like that's super important, right? Like, if someone's done something once, I feel like, well, there's, there's reason to believe they can do it again. Obviously, he was on a new team. Uh, the team hasn't been so great right in the past, and the whole team struggled. So I do feel that that team is in line for a upswing, We've been kind of waiting for the Browns to, to do what we thought they could do. And so I feel like I really believe in the coaching this year. I feel like between Baker and Odell and Jarvis Landry, these are these are like passionate, fiery guys with big reputations, big egos. And I feel like they feel the heat, right? Like these guys actually feel it coming down. And like everyone's judging them. Everyone's shitting on them. No one's giving them love. And for good reason, right? Like they just haven't been that great. Or at least what we all have these high expectations for. So, I mean, everything coming out of like this crazy off season and weird stuff that's been going on as far as how everyone's been preparing for the season. But everything has been like really, really good for the Browns. Like the coach, the players, Baker Mayfield has been talked up a lot as far as his shape, his conditioning, his mental state. Odell Beckham's promising, you know, big numbers. And obviously I expect these guys to do that. Um, but when I pair all those things where I see the team improving, I see the offense improving from a coaching standpoint. And I just feel like these guys all have chips on their shoulders. I, I believe Odell's in for a big year. Cause we haven't talked about Odell in a while. Like as far as like in New York, when he was in New York, he was like the star of the league in a sense, as far as like he was statistically there too as well. But like he was just in the headlines all the time. We talked about him. I feel like, you know, he wants his dues, man. Like he wants his respect. And the only thing that I I am concerned about is your Jarvis Landry, right? Like it's, it's just for a guy who his history says he's always going to you know hit this certain mark, uh, no matter how little we people believe in the guy for some reason. Um, he's my only real threat to Beckham, but I feel like he doesn't have the upside that Beckham has. Like he'll, he'll cut you a hundred times, Jarvis Landry, but but Beckham will blow your head off <laughs> if that makes sense. So like I, I, I love Beckham's upside and what I've seen him do in the past. And I, I, I believe he's at a point where he's going to repeat history as far as not his best years ever, but he's going to be up there where I feel con- confident putting him there. And I want some upside there, man. So that's why I pushed him up there because some of the other guys don't necessarily excite me. Um, because if we're looking at other guys that you guys have, they're like AJ Brown and these guys, like they're just not, they're just not that fun to me, man. Like they're on boring offenses. I don't feel like they're going to be, you know, heavily relied on. And for the Browns to really succeed, I feel like, you know, Beckham has to do great. Um, and there's not much in the way of slowing him down for me. They got, they added a good tight, a good tight end. I, I just feel really positive for the Browns moving forward offensively. And I feel like Beckham will be a big part of that going back to, a place that he played at a level that he played at before. Yeah. So 
a lot of the things that you say about Odell's talent, like I, I, I'm in lockstep with. For me, my challenge with putting him where you have him or, or projecting him to finish top 12 is really a volume concern based on his historical catch rate. Um, from what we've seen from Odell, it, his historical catch rate is 61.5%, and that's inflated based on a 70% rookie year. Every year after that, he's been 62% or lower. And last year, he only had a 55% catch rate. The reason I bring all that up is volume is huge for him. And from what we've seen in this offense, Jarvis Landry is more likely to dominate the volume. And even if he doesn't, the split's going to be closer than it ever was with him and anybody with the Giants. So for him to be able to produce like he had in the past, he's going to be needing to see the 160-plus targets that he saw in his second and third season in the NFL. And I just don't think he can get that value. So for me, it's not a talent concern. It's just a volume concern. Um, but ultimately, what you see in him, like from a talent standpoint and from an upside standpoint, I get. And on the off chance that like Landry misses time or something, he does have that huge ceiling. Right, he does. And, and let's not also mention that he was hurt last year, too. He had a core injury that he was dealing with, which is obviously difficult on wide receivers. So if he's fully healthy, which you know he says he is, Man, everything, man, just a hundred percent Odell Beckham. If he had, if he's had a chance to really like improve on the chemistry, which I know has been tough. Like I said, with this kind of weird offseason and stuff, but I just feel like, man, he's super hungry. We hit his his statistics say he can do it, and if he's fully healthy and him and Baker are on a better page, and this team just generally offensively in a better direction, I feel like um, I, I feel confident in his in his upside and his potential. So I, I feel good putting him there. Um, I'm not too concerned about it, but I understand like there's there is some things like right. Like some people are just afraid of his attitude. Someone that shouldn't be a 2020 season and all this kind of stuff. Like people are concerned about, you know, the, the attitude side of things. But I feel like Odell, the player, man, like I trust him. I don't know. Call me crazy. If he's healthy, I trust him. Josh, just shut your mouth back there, man. I I, I need to know. I need to know how you have Devontae Parker at wide receiver 18. Oh, God. This guy here. First of all, respect. I'm, I'm at 17, so actually. glad because that was the one I was debating between. Listen, you guys. And it's and it's 17. It's even more egregious. <laughs> Go ahead. So, I, first of all, I have him here purely out of respect, first of all. Um, he, he balled out last year, right? Are, are either one of you going to deny that he had a good year? No. Okay. So so we're all, we're all agreeing that he had 70 receptions, 1,200 yards, almost 10 touchdowns. Like we all agree that he had a really good year, right? No one sure. can argue that fact. Okay, great. So no one can argue that Devontae Parker looked like the Devontae Parker that this team thought they drafted in 2015. He played – I mean, he, he played – I think he – did he miss a game last year? I think he – I feel like he came out of a game once or twice. Yeah, he, played, he, played he may have come out of the game, but okay. he played 16. Okay, gotcha. He was so he had the 120 plus targets that Adam so you know expects AJ Brown to have. He had the numbers, the production with those targets already. He has a quarterback who's returning that got him those numbers, and a young rookie who who may end up taking the guy's job at some point in the season. Um, but he's super talented and and healthy. So unless they switch out, you know, Fitzpatrick for the rookie just because they're losing or something, obviously that can change things. If Tua doesn't, you know, start off hot or leave off where 
as crazy as it is the Ryan Fitzpatrick does. Um, but the only thing that you guys are going to tell me is Preston Williams. That's it, right? That's the only argument you're going to have against Devontae Parker, or you just don't believe what he did before. What what I mean, what, what, what is your knock? What is your big knock? Yeah, I, I mean, there there's only one big knock on Devontae Parker, and that's four and a half seasons of historical production. I mean, literally, you like a guy because what he did essentially in eight games last year. I mean, he, before Preston Williams' injury, he wasn't even the most targeted guy in that offense. So that only transitioned after an injury and after a quarterback change, a quarterback change that very likely could change again this season. Um, so for me, I mean, I have a ton of concerns. One, we never see breakouts like this. I mean, this is totally a weird anomaly. He broke out in his fifth year in the NFL. Super weird. Secondly, he broke out with a quarterback that came in mid-year, who most likely he's going to see another quarterback transition mid-year this year. I don't know if it's related to Ryan Fitzpatrick as an individual. I don't know if they just have particular chemistry. I don't know what that offense is going to even look like this year. So for me, the concerns around Parker are really just to be excited about him is literally to be excited about an extremely small sample size. So for me, that just, that's never going to work in my process. Right. I mean, now, I mean, you gotta be fair. Devontae Parker had a lot of injury issues all those years. He had a crappy coach. Um, yeah, a lot of excuses. I, I hear you. Oh, I mean, but if you ignore the excuses, I don't understand that. Like they're legit. He, he was injury prone. He had a tons of issues. He had a, a quarterback who is known to ruin players, ruin offenses. And he was perceived as a bust. Like he overcame that. The fact that he overcame the emotional, the physical, the I mean, I, I don't understand how you could hate this dude. Like, I just don't get it. Like, it's just crazy to me to root against this guy or not believe in this guy. Like after what he's overcome, it's like it's crazy, man. I don't get it. Like the dude was a beast last year. Like, you guys do understand this, right? Like. He dominated when he played and had great, fantastic games and looked elite out there when he when he had these breakout games on on a Dolphins team, bro, on the Dolphins, like who didn't have a lot of great things happening. Like, oh, man, it's, it's so frustrating when you got Josh, what's your knock on, on Parker? Is it the same exact thing? Oh, he's never done it before. So now I just can't ever believe it happens again. Well, my knock on Parker is that there are guys behind him that I would rather bet on. You know, Calvin Ridley, Keenan Allen, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. These are all just bets that I prefer to Devontae Parker. I mean, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, everyone has their guys. I just feel like, man, we're, we're, we're too quick to, like, denounce guys. Like, if they don't come out straight out their rookie year on fire or, you know, are in a perfect situation for everything to come together, like, we're just – some of these guys are just young dudes, man, who are like either in bad offenses or dealing with injuries or just aren't fully developed in their skills. And like we like coming out, people knew what he was capable of. Um, and just because he didn't come out the doors on fire, um, it's supposed to be never possible to be that, um, which I don't think okay. is fair, man. So like so, I mean, this won't convince you because you don't believe in numbers, but <laughs> from a numbers standpoint, like it just everything that he did was an anomaly. I mean, on the season, he had 16.7 yards per reception. That's way outside of anything that he'd done historically. Historically, prior to that, his average was 12.9 uh, per game. Or, I'm sorry, per season. Yards per reception on the season, sorry. 
Um, as far as catch rate goes, this is a guy who has a historical catch rate under 60%. It, the only way that he is going to be productive in the NFL is if he sees insane volume. Last year, he saw nearly 130 targets. If you think that he sees that again this year, then in order to have the fantasy production that he had last year, on top of that, he's going to have to maintain an unsustainable yards per reception, and he's going to have to score probably double-digit touchdowns. He scored nine last year. So for me, there's just so many things that I expect to come down or stay where they've been at historically that for me, I just I can't make those numbers work. I, I mean, you're, you'd hate where I have him because I have him outside my top 30. Sick, bro. Dude, listen, listen. I'm just going to say this before we end this this segment here. He has a talented tight end on his team. He has a better running back core than he's had in the past. He has a QB who believes in him right now, right? As long as Ryan Fitzpatrick is the guy, he believes in him. He, he will throw that ball to Devontae and give him a chance at a ball that other quarterbacks had not in the past because they didn't trust him for whatever the reason was. He has a, a new coaching staff, right, who believed in him and, and gave him that opportunity, a fresh start, a new contract or whatever it was, reworked contract, however they did it. Um, and yeah, man, I just feel like this guy is reborn, man. Like he's healthy. Everything is coming into play. Everything is, is, um, is working in his favor to be the guy that people thought he was coming out. He was, you know, drafted where he was for a reason. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm a believer in the rebirth of, of his reputation and his skill set and his ability in the NFL. And whether you guys are too afraid to believe that because the numbers don't work for you, I get it. That's fine. Play that game. But I'm a big fan. I'm not going to be wavered because I stand 10 toes down to Devontae Parker here. So I'm not going to be wavered by it. I stand by it. And, uh, yeah, I feel good about it. And and and, and I don't even have him crazy high. Like, it's not ridiculous, like, where he's at. Like, I'm not like, saying he's top five. You know what I mean? Like, I got him in a decent spot. I feel like if you can say A.J. Brown is that good just because he did it one year, da 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 whatever, like, I think I think Devontae Parker can be – I don't think it's any much of a chance for me. Um, when this guy had 80 targets or something like 80 receptions, 80 targets, whatever it was last year. Like, I don't know, man. I, I have no problem believing in Devontae Parker. Um, and we'll see. We'll see at the end of next year if he remains healthy, who's right or wrong here. Um, but I, I feel I have no issue standing on it. I have no issue, man. Top, top, top 20 for me, man. Top 20. There you have it. There you have it, fellas. There you have it. That was that was fun. I kind of like the 10 toes down, guys. I think we should do this for every every ranking group we do, for sure. As long as we rename it. <laughs> I love 10 toes down. You're a hater. Um, let's move on to listener questions. We got some good ones here, and then we will uh, go to foul or no foul and start to wrap up the show. Listener questions. The first one is from at David O underscore DFS. Shout out to David. I like David. David's a cool dude, man. David's in a league with us. David got some cards from me recently. I've known David forever. Um, he says, and I say that because I hate your question, David, um, because it's disrespectful to my Raiders. How many weeks until Mariota takes over? I will not answer this question because I think it's zero weeks ever. Um, but I know you two are very adamant, or at least Adam is very adamant that this is going to happen. Um, so, Adam, you go ahead and, and take this question first. And, Josh, if you have anything you want to chime in, my chime in is that Derek Carr will hold a position all year. But, Adam, go ahead and attack Derek Carr. Yeah, I'm going hot takey. Uh, dude, I'm sorry, but your Raiders have a horrible schedule. I don't know if you've looked at it. You probably have. haven't because have. you don't need anything to <laughs> enter your mind that's this negative. But they start the year against the Panthers. That's winnable. That is winnable for the Raiders. The Raiders could start the year 1-0. and oh. Get excited Woo! about that, Neil, because it's about to get rough. From there, 
they got to play the Saints, then the Patriots, then the Bills, then the Chiefs, then the Bucks. So they're going to be one in five to start the year. And that might be it. That might be it for Carr right there. Um, I highly doubt it because I don't think that they brought in Mariota as like this guy that they think is going to take over. But it very well could be it right there. From there, they have a little bit of hope. They play the Browns. They play the Chargers. They play the Broncos. Things get a little bit easier. But then, I mean, it's really, for me, a question of if he can withstand that horrible start to the year. Because the Raiders' schedule isn't bad overall. Their second-half schedule is actually really nice, with the exception of the Chiefs. There's a lot of winnable games in there. Problem is, is they're going to start the year in a giant hole. And I don't know how that shifts that team. For me, I personally have Mariota at about four games starting right now. Um, in fact, TJ Hernandez just put out a tweet today uh, regarding a player prop on David Carr for uh, passing yards at 3,300. And David Carr historically has thrown over 3,900 yards in almost every season. So it's a very low number. And really what that's indicative of is him not starting a full season. Um, so for me, really, just like that Vegas line, I think four games is probably right about the right number for what Mariota should be projected to start. Looking at the schedule, though, man, I'd be really, I'd be really concerned. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed out the NFL conspiracy against the Raiders to always doom their season one way or the other. Um, and starting it, you know, that rough out the gate was a perfect way to ruin that, you know, Vegas first Vegas season. So. I'm glad you pointed out that conspiracy, and you are a conspiracy guy, so you can respect that, man. Um, I appreciate that. But, Josh, are you with this guy that Mariota starts four games, or are you with me that Carr is the guy, man? I don't really think that Marcus Mariota offers a whole lot besides rushing on top of what Derek Carr can do. So I think that picking Marcus Mariota to start games is picking Derek Carr to get hurt. And I'm just not – I'm just not with that. I think Carr could start 16 easily. They, they've improved his wide receiver core. I think he might, probably will, look better. So you don't think if they're out of the playoff hunt that they at least see what they have in Mariota? I mean, why else bring Mariota in at all? Injuries. So he's just he's just a backup. To, to me, he's, he's like what Tannehill ended up being for Tennessee, ironically, and taking, you know, the job there that that to me screams more of what Oakland could do if they you know have a big loss deficit obviously I think realistically it happens much later in the year um but yeah I, I don't know I think that's interesting to think that Mariota is simply a backup especially Josh coming from you who I think at one point in time had Mariota as like a top 10 dynasty quarterback, but you know, it's all about player evaluation. It's nothing about teams. We can move on. (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair to your point there, Adam. For Marcus Mariota would make my, my dynasty teams very good. Yeah, you did. You did trade me a first round pick for him. Jesus Christ. I forgot about that. Yeah, you did. That was last year too. Last year, he traded me a first round pick for him and then tried to get the first round pick back the entire year. How do we let him be on a fantasy football podcast? (laughs) I'm of the opinion that in a super flex, a starting quarterback is worth first. He's not worth the (laughs) one-on-one. But he's worth the first. He's not, but okay. Yeah, so I, I I will say this. I actually think Mariota is good for Carr. 
Like this is the first legitimate quarterback who could play in a win a football game behind Derek Carr. So I think this, I think Mariota is part of Derek Carr's energy that he has right now. Like I'm tired of being disrespected, this and that. Like, I think this is great for Derek Carr. Like to feel that heat, like for once, like, Hey, they got a quarterback behind you who was like actually supposed to be a good quarterback. And like, isn't that bad. And when he plays, he actually is, isn't too, too bad at the game. So um, I think this is all good for the Raiders. This is all upside to me. So, um, and I remember the season where Derek Carr got hurt and basically the season was completely over after a great season all year. So um, I have no issue with him being our backup and that's all he is. Um, but yeah, I'm good with it. David, thanks for um, this Raider slander that you brought to the pod today. Um, Here's the lesson I really learned from Marcus Mariota. And that is do not bet on young quarterbacks and dynasty. Just stop it. <laughs> just, just pick the old guys up. Cheap. But you weren't the only one. I mean, that was like a player profile thing at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, probably. Yeah, they were pumped. I mean, Marcus, he, he rushes, he does some things that make him appealing, but it just did not work out. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on. Next question we have here from uh, the from our, our good buddy Josh, friend of the show, at generally underscore aware. Um, he asked a few questions here. We'll kind of just jump through them really quick. He says Keenan Allen or DK Metcalf. I don't know if either one of you feel really strongly about that. Um, I think we all had DK Metcalf ranked higher, if I believe, if I recall. Did anyone of you have Keenan Allen above him? I, I know I, I don't. Okay. I don't know if Josh so yeah, we I think we all felt DK is better, right? Josh, you had him above him too, right? I feel like yeah. So I have DK at wide receiver ten and Keenan Allen at wide receiver twelve. Oh, so pretty close. Okay. Yeah. Can, just, can we just not talk about Josh's crazy rankings? DK <laughs> 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 Metcalf wide receiver ten. That's so bold. I mean, I actually like it a lot, but that's so bold. Especially above Lockett. Oh, that's so wild. All right, dude. <laughs> you know what? Josh's rankings are so much more fun than mine and Neil's. <laughs> it's just it's rookie year, 100 targets. Rookie year, 100 targets. That is a very good signal for future success. You know, he had nearly 1,300 air yards in his rookie year. And comparing that to Keenan's superior 1,500, but – yeah. he's also going to Tyrod. There's a question there. I'm willing to give DK the nod for doing it year one. Yeah, DK is everything AJ Brown fans want AJ Brown to be. He's already it. He already had those targets that Adam predicts. Um, so we'll see. But I, I, I do like DK over Keenan Allen this year, and that, and that pains me to say because I do like Keenan Allen a lot. I just don't trust the quarterback situation there, and I don't know how that thing is going to shake out. Um, but I think Keenan Allen's a safe bet you know, as he always is, but I just like the, the upside of DK and what he can do and what that offense can do. So I don't know. He's just more of a fun player to draft. Um, but yeah, I think we all kind of have DK above him. I, I, you have DK above him. You said, right? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. All right, cool. And the other question he had here was what team will have two wide receivers in the top 12? Like can, he said, can Godwin Evans do it with Brady? I think we kind of mentioned that earlier that we all agree that he, they, they can do it. Um, no, but, oh, we don't. No, 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 I'm going to disagree. Okay. Uh, and actually, I love this question. I'm really glad that Josh proposed this because uh, typically there's at least one team every year that has two guys in the top 12. So I think that there's a couple teams that have the potential to do it this year. Um, for me, though, my favorite is probably Atlanta. I think what Calvin Ridley has shown in that offense is that he is a dominant force. And the biggest thing that I see coming from that offense is the shift with losing Austin Hooper. I don't think Hayden Hurst is, is going to be someone who can fill that target share at all. 
So I think that that's going to cause targets to shift back to the wide receivers more. And ultimately, that's going to funnel more targets to Julio and more targets to Ridley. And I think that puts those two in the best position to finish as top 12. Um, for me, that puts them just slightly above Tampa Bay. Um, I mean, obviously, you still have to like their chances just based upon talent alone. But my concerns are ultimately with Brady and his ability to support two. I think in a Bruce Arians offense, it's probably likely that he can at least support two. Um, but my concerns are more about either them, you know, faltering from their ADP a little bit. And honestly, the other one that I think is kind of sneaky, Josh already brought it up a little bit with this, you know, really bold ranking of DK Metcalf. But if if they ever decide to open up that offense, Russell Wilson can support two top 24 wide receivers. He definitely can, especially because, I mean, I love Will Disley. But they, they're not going to utilize the tight end to a large degree. It's going to be funneled through those two wide receivers. And if they open it up at all, Lockett and Metcalf are good enough to be top 12. So my number one pick would be Atlanta, but my number two kind of sneakier pick is Seattle. That's fair. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think those are the two obvious ones, and then Seattle is a wild card. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, I mean, Josh, do you, do, is there any other team that you see that can do this, or are you in line with him here? For top twenty-four, I think that I think that Seattle and Tampa are your clear front runners. Cleveland, I think, is is in the hunt, and I think that Dallas could do it. I, you know, Michael Gallup kept pace with kept pace with Amari Cooper, and I don't really think that C.D. Lamb challenges him early. So, I think Amari and Michael Gallup could could make a run at that being top twenty-four. Okay. For clarity, though, you're saying top 24 for those. I just want to make sure because the initial question was top 12, 12 no big yeah. deal, but that does definitely make a distinction because I, I think those are great top 24 picks, but like Dallas, for instance, I'd be hard-pressed to see them support two top 12. Um, but yeah. You're right. I, I agree. Cleveland I, as I, well. But yeah, both of those are interesting, though, for top 24. Seattle, man, it's hard to deny Mr. Unlimited. I mean, his potential is just unlimited. <laughs> God, man. I didn't know that there would ever be an athlete that made me like Henry Cejudo, but he's doing it. That's a, that's a deep world, you know, UFC UFC pull there, guys. Yeah. But uh, hopefully hopefully the rest of you got that. <laughs> the next question we have here is from at Austin underscore G underscore H. Again, shout out to Austin for always, uh, you know, hitting us up, participating, showing love, sending questions. He asked, and we've kind of talked about the Browns a lot today. Um, he has a Browns question. He said, was Kevin uh, Stefanski's run first game script a product of his own design or was it his only option? He said, what are the chances Stef- Stefanski runs a more pass-friendly game script? And we've been talking about these guys all day, basically. So um, th- are any of us inclined to say that they're going to have some a really pass-friendly offense, even though they have these good running backs and everything there? Yeah, so I, I think I've spoken about this before, but I think that – Game script is indicative to what an offense does. It it has to do with the individual game. So when you're looking at these, you know, play callers and you want to say, this is a guy who is, you know, a run first play caller. Yeah. If the situation dictates it, but if they're down by 17, they're not running the football. So the big difference between Minnesota and Cleveland is Minnesota had one of the best defenses in the league had a phenomenal offensive line, and were able to build a team that structurally was built around the run. Now you have a team in Cleveland 
that looks like they're trying to build kind of similarly. They've been working on the offensive line. They have two extremely dynamic running backs. So ultimately, I could see them being a little bit more run-focused. But as far as the overall run volume, that's only going to have to do with the offensive efficiency. It's only going to have to do with them winning games and being in the lead late in games. And it's really going to have to do with Baker not turning the ball over like he was doing last year and being able to be a little bit more of a game manager, which I think is probably the direction that that offense goes more, which is the same reason that, honestly, it's so funny. I'll just say it. Over the course of this podcast, I moved Odell back down further. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just did it because at the end of the day, I'm not going to draft him. I, I just am not. And ultimately, my concerns around that offense are, are still there. And I think that from you know a play-calling standpoint, I, I, I don't know how many games they're going to win, so they're probably going to be a little bit more pass-heavy than people are going to expect. Adam loves to adjust those rankings on the fly, live on the air. <laughs> as we Always t- adjusting. I mean, as the one of us that is constantly drafting, I'm constantly adjusting my rankings. Don't you try to down us, boy. Don't you try to <laughs> knock us down. Yeah, I think it's a fancy question. Like, I think it is just kind of – I mean, the run thing may be his, like, bread and butter, maybe what he wants to do, but obviously the teams that he's had has also been just the best option, you know? And so – and that's a lot of offenses, right? Like, if you have a good run game, it should be, like, your first option, and it should be part of the game script in a major way. Um, and he's had that, you know, that luxury in the past. So he's going to have it again in Cleveland. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see how, how it shakes out. But I think that – I think this offense could be pass-friendly. Uh, for sure with these obviously with these wide receivers but um there's definitely if if they're in the lead you know if that defense can hold up at all in in cleveland then there's definitely gonna be games where these guys can run wild and um there's no way like i think like you said it's a game to game type of thing and how it's how it's playing out for them but it's a good question though um josh you have anything to add to that before we jump to the next question Sure. Two quick things. Number one, a pass-friendly offense is a run-friendly offense because a team that can pass the ball efficient, efficiently will benefit its running backs. And number two, I want Miles Garrett back in the NFL, and I want him to get to put some kind of like Mason Rudolph sticker on his helmet, <laughs> like like you know how the World War II bombers used to put like the like I killed this many people. <laughs> like no, you, like you. I dropped that many bombs. I I want like a Mason Rudolph with a cross through it on Miles Garrett. Damn, I think it's fair. I think we all hate the guy. So not Miles Garrett. Fuck that guy. Yeah, <laughs> Garrett just signed a big contract too, right? So good for him. Yeah, he signed a fat contract. I think it was like 125 mil or something. It was beautiful. Um. So yeah, he is shows goes to show you all that suspension stuff wasn't no biggie um the last one we have here is from uh at cd piglet um he's and josh kind of answered this a little bit on twitter because josh can't help himself to take these show questions and and jump right in uh hey send us questions for the show meanwhile we're gonna answer them on twitter um explain to him how gallup has an adp in the 70 to 80 range in dynasty considering his numbers in year two and the offense he's in. Um, Josh, I'll let you go first since you were so anxious on Twitter first. So um, go ahead and, and let us know what you think, and we'll see what Adam thinks and go from there. I, I, Michael Gallup already finished as the number 24 wide receiver in 2019, and his numbers were pretty much at that level across the board 
I don't really see a lot of reason to to expect a rookie wide receiver to come in and affect Michael Gallup to such a great extent. If anything, we've seen that Amari Cooper is a little bit vulnerable. You know, Michael Crabtree, who was just a journeyman wide receiver, managed to maintain dominance. And I, I think Michael Gallup is underrated. I will say that I have Amari Cooper. I think I had him at 10 on my rankings, and I hated every second of it because you guys <laughs> you guys know I'm not an Amari Cooper fan. Um, I wanted to knock him and Juju off this damn list completely if I could, but it just wouldn't be justifiable. But I hated every second of it. I never will draft Amari Cooper willingly unless you put a gun to my head. And uh, I'm not a fan of the dude at all. I know he has some great skills, great route running, all this kind of stuff. I just think he's a chump on the field. I don't like him. Um, and so I have no – I'd not be surprised if, you know, Gallup still gets a lot of love and CeeDee Lamb makes a big impact in rookie season. I know it's hard for people to believe, like, right? Like, they drafted CeeDee Lamb. Like, this guy can't go ignored. Um, and so, like, Josh, you kind of made it – you made it sound kind of like, you know, you're not sure how much love he's actually going to get. Um Adam, I'm kind of curious. Do you have a lot of love for this Ricky wide receiver right now in this offense? Or do you think that he can't surpass any of these guys at all year one? No, I mean, CeeDee Lamb's crazy talented. Mm -hmm. So as far as how he can come and fit into this offense, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. COVID's obviously going to play a weird factor in that because we're going to have an unprecedented offseason. So who knows how different rookies will adjust to that? Who knows how teams are going to adjust with utilization of rookies? So for me, this being a dynasty question, it's a good observation. His ADP is egregious in dynasty. I mean, you're looking at a player who just had a year two breakout. Typically, players that have a year two breakout historically are, are guys that are going to be consistent long term. My concerns with Gallup, though, are more revolving around his catch rate and what I think his volume is going to be moving forward in that offense. So last year, he saw 113 targets. I think that drops. I think he probably sees under 100 targets this year. And ultimately, his catch rate last year was under 60%. I don't know if he's going to be a player that ever is above a 60% catch rate. So if you're talking about a guy who drops to under 100 targets at a 60% catch rate, well, you know, he only had 66 receptions last year. So obviously, because he's kind of a big play down the field receiver, he does have that potential to still have like a 1,000-yard season based on those numbers. Um, but ultimately, I think that's more his ceiling than his floor. So for me, he's a guy who, in the short term, I'm a little concerned about as far as like his ceiling goes. But all it takes is an injury in that offense, and he's shown that he's talented enough to handle volume. So the second volume goes up, I mean, he's going to seize it. So he's still a guy that I really like drafting. It's just really a cost evaluation. I think in Dynasty – it's definitely worth the cost because he has a ton of long-term value. Yeah. And, and let's not forget to mention, Mark Cooper just got a new contract, $100 million, So he's not going anywhere. Um, C.D. Lamb just got drafted, high draft capital. It, it's, I mean, it's an explosive offense. You know, one of the best offenses in the league. They have a, uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Um, you know, so no doubt can all three of these guys contribute. I think that ADP is definitely just totally related to the fact that they have Amari Cooper and they just drafted CD lamb. And that's what all the excitement is at. And, um, you know, people are probably hard pressed to put him above CD lamb, right. In dynasty. So, um, or above Amari Cooper even. So, uh, I mean, while it's not justified and he's probably a great value at this point, 
um that's the only thing that can really make sense of it i mean you're all the weapons that are there adding these you know high round wide receivers and it's, it's just kind of he's just kind of a victim of the situation <laughs> you know what i mean like it's nothing he really did that makes him that low it's probably just you know the excitement for cd lamb and how much they love amari cooper it just is what it is but he's a great value for anybody then because of that so but good question good observation and, and thank you that's this is the first question for the show so we appreciate that um let's jump over to foul or no foul and begin to wrap this show up this has been a contents failed episode man the wire receiver episode is on fire um foul or no foul i have three of them for you guys first one josh jacobs will have 60 receptions this upcoming season foul or no foul foul all right moving on next one (laughs) (laughs) i mean come on this is just ridiculousness i mean yes his receptions are gonna go up yeah he could have 40 receptions he's not having 60 receptions like i mean why? Why? Why would you even set the number there? It just doesn't even make sense. I want his receptions to go up, but like we gotta be realistic about what he can do in his second year in that offense. And I think for me, a realistic projection is closer to forty, maybe fifty. Sixty would be like a ceiling projection. But this is a guy who, in his rookie year, had twenty-seven targets and twenty receptions. So unless you think that his targets are gonna quadruple. I don't really know how you see him, you know, catching 60 balls, but yeah. We'll see. And for anyone interested, he the reason that I'm, I'm this is even on here is he was speaking to the press today and uh he did say that he's a st- he, this is a quote from him. I kind of established the run aspect of my game. I feel like I want to improve that even more, but also blocking. I want to put some of that on film. Also catching, I want to catch at least 60 balls this year. I worked on a lot of things that receivers do, not necessarily just running back routes, whether it's getting off the line or how to stack on top once you get vertical and things like that. I've been working on all technical things that receivers do and just trying to implement that into my own style and bring what I can to the table. So he clearly has a personal desire for that. It's his goal. Um, Whether the Raiders make that happen, obviously no one believes it at this point because that's everyone's biggest knock on Josh Jacobs. Um, But I mean, I think we all should at least be happy that he says he's working on it. We know the Raiders have, you know, keep saying that he's going to get a lot of work at that in that, you know, capacity. Um, so while most doubt it, like you're at, like you're doubting it at this point, Adam. Um, I think it there, you know, we should all at least be positive that you know there's a, a, a space there for an uptick, hopefully, like you said, in receptions, uh, because even just you know 20 more receptions or 15 more receptions, like it matters in Josh Jacobs' case, in my opinion. Um, so I think it's some, you know, something not to overlook. While people think sixty is ridiculous, though, if that makes sense, Josh, does that make sense? It makes sense. You're my sense. I, you're my sense checker. I like to check my sense with you. I I feel like I'm up for that role. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> it's a I, weird I, choice I, since he's full of nonsense. <laughs> After Leonard Fournette, I have more faith in a running back being able to greatly increase his number of receptions in a game, but I still feel like it's more likely that Jalen Richard holds on to that role. Gotcha, gotcha. And again, Lynn Bowden Jr. is there. They drafted him this year. He's their joker now. Hope possibly that's what they say. So it's going to be a, a you know a fun game here going. And the wide receivers are dramatically improved if everything plays out as he will hope and expect. Um, next one. Renting out the last blockbuster on Earth for a night would be amazing. Foul or no foul? 
I asked this because all, Airbnb it all is, exists on the internet. Airbnb is actually renting out the last blockbuster on Earth. So oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm surprised it's not in Josh, Josh's town, but it's so in Oregon. So that's super lame. It probably doesn't even have the videos in there. So. It's in Oregon. And they, they made like this little bed, like set up area. Like, and I think there are like tapes on the wall and stuff. I don't know if they're legit or whatever, but yeah, I seen it on the internet. I thought this was interesting. I mean, you know, there's one blockbuster left, man. Airbnb is like, hey, let's rent this shit out. So. Is it terrible, guys, or is it amazing? Sounds like terrible. It's terrible. I, terrible. <laughs> I used to like Blockbuster. I'm not gonna lie, but renting it out. I, weird. I was a big Blockbuster fan. You know, isn't it funny that Blockbuster didn't believe Netflix was really gonna happen? That's like a a big one. That's one of those business example stories that people tell, because like Blockbuster was like, "Oh, this Netflix thing, like, fuck that. That shit ain't gonna happen." We're not getting into know. that game. I don't blame Blockbuster, but I blame Redbox. And I'm still angry that people buy from Redbox. Yeah, it pisses me off, too. It's so antiquated. I hate Redbox. I hate when I see someone walk up to that. I'm like, oh, those things still work? It's a machine of movies when movies exist on the internet. I just don't <laughs> understand it. It just seems so silly. Yeah, those are going to be like the pay phones of our day. Like when you I mean, s- really? Yeah. Like you it's just it. crazy that somebody came up with that as a business model. And it worked. worked. Yeah, it worked. They're still out there, man. People are still. Um, Josh, we gotta stop doing this, man. You know, Josh uses it. Like, let's stop doing that because we're making him uncomfortable. It's, it's, <laughs> let's stop making. I have used Redbox, but I think people forget that step. Like, it was Blockbuster, and then Redbox put them out, and then Netflix and no. Internet to be a general. Oh, all right. You know what? This is what this is what the podcast is made for. I got to look up the years that Netflix started in comparison to the year that Redbox started because I almost guarantee Netflix was first and they were doing uh, their mail subscription prior to any uh, existence of Redbox. Yeah, Netflix was like a mail thing. Yeah. They were there. I don't feel like they had the market share. Oh, they definitely did. <laughs> I, I'm looking. I'm looking up the numbers. We can move on. I can come back to this. Yeah, I have one other found <laughs> out, and I'm just curious what you guys think. Um, no question that Halloween will be canceled this year due to COVID. Foul or no foul? Yeah, no foul. God, man, what a bummer. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess you can wear a mask, but like, it's gonna get canceled. They're canceling everything. Yeah, you can wear so, a mask under the mask. Yeah, I mean, you're already wearing right. a mask. Why don't we all so, just act so, like COVID patients for Halloween? Like, it's crazy. Like, it's nuts. Like, <laughs> it's crazy, man. Having so kids, Josh. Hey, are you curious just how wrong you were? <laughs> uh, there was a, there was a like five year gap in even the existence of the company. Sorry, we're going back to Netflix Redbox. I understand but, what you're saying that Netflix was there. I'm just saying that Redbox had its moment in the sun, and it was like a transition. It, it was like it was like trying to take blockbuster customers off the nipple. Like if they weren't yeah. if they weren't all the way adjusted to this new technology of getting you know videos in the mail or you know movies in the mail, they had that little red box to walk over to and like still feel like it's a tangible thing probably. And then they got weaned off, and then they're like, oh shit, I could just watch all this stuff on my TV. Great, awesome. Even now, when I think about it, like getting movies in the mail is kind of strange, man. It's really weird. Like you're gonna watch that new movie like in four days when it gets here or whatever. Like that's kind of weird. Strange, man. It's a strange game. Technology. Technology is moving. All right. So 
We're not renting the blockbuster out. You guys don't believe Josh Jacobs gets 60 receptions. And you guys feel like it's sad that Halloween may not happen, but we could run double masks and make this work. But who wants candy for people, man? They're going to be like, oh, that person in the house has COVID. Like, it's done, dude. That's not going to happen. I I think Halloween happened. I think I think I'm still trick or treating. Oh, you're in Oklahoma, bud. You've been just doing whatever you want the whole time. We know it. Him and his but, three, uh, him let's and his get three back neighbors. To the important stuff, guys. So if we would have invested in Netflix when Redbox started, or you know, I don't know, even in like 2010, you would be rich. You'd be so rich. It's insane. <laughs> so guys, just because this this is now a stock podcast, in 2010 you could buy Netflix for ten dollars. It is currently trading at almost five hundred dollars. It is currently trading at over five hundred dollars. That's fifty times. Fifty times. Holy woof. Man. All Oof. right. Cool. Oof. All right. Oof. Good good times, guys. Good times. Were you guys using Netflix in two thousand and ten? I'm pretty sure I was already. I feel dumb. <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I was on the Netflix train until probably two thousand thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, I mean, you might be right. It might have been later like that. But, man, like, I just remember having it prior to any online streaming, like just having the, the mail-in service. So, yeah, man, if you had some of that Netflix stock, your bank account right now would feel unlimited. <laughs> That's all I know. That's all I know. Let's get out of here, guys. Show and tell to wrap this bad boy up. Hopefully you guys brought something to the table. We are going to share with you guys something that we love, something we want you to use, a thought that we want you to have, whatever it is. I'll start it off. Um, Joe Rogan Experience episode 1,521 with Josh, I don't Josh Dubin and Jason Flom. I hope I'm saying their names right. Um, but they talked about like uh, wrongful conviction cases and the Innocence Project and all these things. I thought it was interesting. Obviously, it's a big issue in this country, and so you should listen just to educate yourself on it. But I thought it was interesting because now your vice president, potentially, Kamala Harris, was talked about on the show um, and how she screwed a lot of people over. And it was really dark, weird stuff that she did and was a part of. And, I mean, it's important to note that they did say this is, again, this was before she was picked. But they did say that if she was picked, even with all these horrible things, they would still vote for her and Biden over Trump. Um, that's That was their take. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's as bad as you want it to be, I guess, and depending on what's on the other side. But, yeah, I just think it's a really important episode for people to listen to, to know what's going on in this country, educate themselves on it, see how maybe they can help or contribute. And also just to kind of know how uh, how some people work, man, that maybe run this country soon. Again, not knocking anybody. I'm just telling you to educate yourselves. Um, again, it's episode 1521 of the Joe Rogan Experience. Josh, you have anything yeah. today, man? Uh, I'm going to interrupt Josh just to oh, echo yours really quick there. And I, I apologize to interrupt, but that is a phenomenal podcast. And actually, I really appreciate you bringing that up because we had had a little bit of a discussion in the chat about the, the VP elect and everything regarding that subject. And that podcast, I think, does touch on a lot of the things that I think are important to know um, about the, the person who just got nominated to be the vice president. So. Uh, yeah, man, I think that 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 podcast is fantastic as well. So I think that was a great recommendation. But yeah, Josh, go right ahead. Okay, so someone told me this the other day, and it just kind of blew my mind. And I think that we need to keep this in mind, just with um, Me Too and cancel culture and all the other things we were doubting and questioning. And the statistic I heard was that 
of all the rapists who are out there, what what percentage of those people do you think do jail? The answer is two percent. Two percent. Two percent. Yeah, I've heard some pretty historic, like. Uh, crazy statistics around that as well, just involving sex crimes because the vast majority go unreported and then the ones that do go reported go unconvicted. Yeah, yeah like the, no- the numbers are pretty staggering. I mean, I don't, I don't know the statistical like. I, I I'm sure two percent a lot yeah. more likely than two percent to get like drug into court or charged with something or maybe even arrested. But you're like the next time someone comes forward and we're just telling ourselves like, Oh, she's got an agenda or, Oh, it was probably consensual. Like uh, that's probably bullshit. 2%. Hey, ha- ha- hashtag fuck Bobby. Right. Um, by the way, for those who know, you know, <laughs> um, so listen, we just, we just hit with two really important educational real life show and tell today. Adam, are you going to pull a trifecta here, or are you going to change the, nope. the vibe? Okay, that's, I, I figured <laughs> change you. Change the vibe a little bit. I mean, I got to talk a little bit about the UFC. We got a giant event this weekend. So UFC 252 is this weekend. It's literally going to be Daniel Cormier's final fight for all intents and purposes. It's a rubber match between him and Steve Miocic for the heavyweight title. They've each beaten each other. Stipe is the the has the most wins as the heavyweight champion in the history of the UFC. Daniel Cormier has only ever lost to Stipe as a heavyweight. So there, there's a lot of interesting dynamics here. I think it's a huge fight. It's something that I've been excited for all year. And one thing that I think's just really been the case for me, and I'll be interested to see if this is the case once football starts. I've always been a huge fan of the UFC. But I feel like since the quarantine and the lockdown and everything, having the UFC not really stop or only stop for a really short period of time has, for me personally, helped my sanity through all this. Sports are really big for me as far as like having consistency, having something to look forward to in life is something that's really important to me. And having events is something that's really important to me. So I like having things like this where I know like this weekend I'm going to watch fights basically all day unfortunately not as much as i'd like to because my stupid sister had to have a birthday and want to celebrate <laughs> it but like i'll still watch most of the fights <laughs> yeah. but like ultimately yeah i'm excited about ufc 252 but more than anything i'm just excited about you know the idea of sports and having something to look forward to and how right now there's just so little of that without being able to go to any form of events. Like I'm someone who in the summers loves to go to music festivals. I love to go to concerts. I live in Chicago, man. Half the year you can't even go outside. So this time of year, you normally want to constantly be out doing things. So to not be able to do anything has been super depressing. So one of the few things that has really brought a light to this overall depressing time has been events for me. And the only events that I've really had have been the UFC. So, I mean, for a lot of ways, this is something that I really look forward to. And, uh, you know, anytime that I can watch Sean O'Malley fight, I'm pretty excited as well. So, yeah, that's yeah. fun too. Yeah, so a couple of things here. Josh, first of all, saying to himself, you're not going out during this pandemic, man. You're doing this thing all wrong. So he doesn't even understand what you're talking about. 
<laughs> he's like man you haven't seen anybody get dropped no. <laughs> yeah you're not out here doing anything in the mean streets of oklahoma city um question who do you have your money on though steep a or our boy over there oh man yeah i've been going back and forth on it i i know you're I'm gonna bet proud. on it right so no i might not bet on that oh, fight. Okay. i'm definitely okay. gonna bet on the fights i might not bet on that specific fight i'm leaning steep a but I hate it. Like, I want Daniel Cormier to win. But based on that second fight being more indicative of what I think this fight's going to look like, I, I don't know. Most of the time when high-level fighters fight and then they fight a second time, the guy who won the first time or the woman who won the first time oftentimes wins that second fight. For it to have swung in the opposite direction makes me wonder if there was just stuff going on for that first fight that had Stipe not as sharp. Or maybe they're both just that phenomenal and it literally can change at you know, the blink of an eye. I don't know. I think it's an extremely close fight, but I'm probably taking Stipe. But my heart wants Daniel Cormier to win, man. I mean, he's so good for the sport and for him to win and go out like that would be phenomenal. Yeah, it's tough because they're like both like people champs. I mean, like... Daniel Cormier is a humble dude, is good dude. He looks like a regular guy. Then you got Stipe, is another humble regular dude, and he also is like a firefighter. So it's like, you know, these are just two guys that everyone roots for. So, um, yeah, I understand what you mean when it's like tough, which way that thing goes, Who you know, how you feel about it. Um, all right, that's all we have, man. That's it. That's today's show. That was a pretty long episode, actually. Um, might be our longest. It might be one of our longest of late. So um, shout out, you know, of course, to all the listeners who have hung tight. We were, we hope you're enjoying these ranking episodes as much as we are. Next week, what do you guys want to do? Tight ends or quarterbacks? Sneak peek for these guys. What do you want to do? Ooh, might do both. We'll have to talk. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it because it is a those are different positions. Um, all right. Shout out to everybody again. You've made this far. We love you guys. You can find Josh on Twitter at JC Crocker. You can find Adam on Twitter at the other FF guy. You can find me on Twitter at Clock Dodgers. If you haven't already followed us, please follow us. We love interacting with you guys. We love talking with you guys. We love getting your questions for the show, your topics, what you want to hear. We appreciate your feedback, all that good stuff. Shout out to anybody who has plugged us recently. Um, I, I always love whenever someone asks, like, hey, I'm on a drive. And there's, you know, is there any podcasts out there I should listen to? Or I'm looking to put some new podcasts on my, you know, on my on my feed. You guys have any suggestions? And when people shout us out, like, and throw us in that mix, like, it's super cool. So. Um, shout out to everybody who does that, who's been bigging us up lately. Uh, we really appreciate you guys more than you can understand. Um, if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Drop us a five-star review. Those things are monumental to the growth of this podcast and helping new people find the podcast. So shout out to you guys. Uh, Clock Dodgers, we're out, man. This is it. Thank you for your support. As always, be kind, be great, keep dying.